Welcome to the Business Design Podcast. I'm Randy Baker. And I'm Dr. Kent Gustafson. And we'll be talking to some quirky, strange, interesting, wonderful individuals about how to design businesses for success. And today we're talking with Bob Fibbs, who is also known as the Retail Doctor. And I I think what was fascinating for me in kind of listening back to this, because I wasn't there at the beginning of this interview, um, Randy, you started out with it, but I dove right in on music analogies and, and thinking about the way Bob looks at the business marketplace. And that's what, you know, this show is all about business design. And it was really neat to kind of see the way he looked at business in a different way than anybody else I'd ever heard. Now, one of the interesting things about this particular conversation is that Bob managed to challenge my thoughts about retail because I'm one of those people who believed that retail was dying. You need to listen to what Bob's thoughts are on this because he has a different take on that. So music, retail, the connection, it's very, very interesting. Here's our interview with Bob Fibbs. So here we are today with um, Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. So maybe, Bob, you can um, tell us what you mean by the retail doctor. I cure retail's ills. How's that? You know, I picked that name out 30 some years ago. I went to a Tony Robbins seminar at Universal Amphitheaters in LA and he said, you better come up with a brand nobody can do better than yours. And literally I left that meeting and drafted the uh, paperwork for the trademark and submitted the next morning and took me a while to decide what that was all going to look like. But I knew I liked the sound of that brand. So there you go. Oh, so retail, retail ills. There's plenty of retail ills following this final year. What are you going to do about it? What do you do? How do you do it? Oh, well, that'll cost you a lot of money to find the answer, but I'll give you some clues, Randy. Let me tell you, you, uh, that's the best answer ever because I do exactly (laughs) the same thing. So there you go. You know, everybody wants the magic pill. You know, I I have a whole online retail sales training program. It's called SalesRx. And you'd be surprised the number of people think like, if I just buy it, it'll work, right? It's like, no. And so if you walk through our process, the first month is Monday through Friday, your managers are learning for 20 minutes a day, and then they're learning how to role play, and then it moves off to your associates. And it's like, willpower doesn't work. You know, 90% of the time, it's going to let you down. So the answer, if you're really looking at it, I think uh, one of the challenges I think we have right now in retail is everybody's chasing the shiny object. Oh, it's about resale. Oh, it's about sustainability. Oh, it's contactless. It's focus. It's buy online and and figuring that it's all going to be online. And it doesn't matter, Randy. You know, 50% of the business is going to go to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And you're only going to convert it 1% or 2% if you're lucky. If you're really hitting it out of the park, imagine being a baker and saying, yeah, I'm going to keep making this bread. If 99% of the time it's wrong, I'm going to put all my money in that. And yet the number one place that the high street and main streets are struggling is we have just given up on what it's like to be human in an increasingly technological world. So big brands hire me to work with their dealers and their dealer networks to craft what an exceptional experience is. And uh, I think that's a lot more than I can point and click it or I can drive up and you'll deliver it to my trunk. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. So if I, if I, well, <laughs> I, I have to keep, 
pulling myself back because I agree with you in that if people want to know how to do something, they need to pay you for it. So hours are not a sentence I want to ask. So let me change direction for a minute. You've been doing this for a few years. This is my 27th. 27th year. So you kind of know your way around. Um, I think so. If you can go back to when you were, say, five, what would your parents have said you were going to do with your life back then? Uh, the retail doctor. I wanted to work in a retail store. When I was five, my goodness, five years, that's 1963. I don't think my parents, uh, uh, not giving away, I didn't have the greatest growing up uh, relationship. My parents just expected me to succeed. And if I got an A, it's like, of course, it wasn't a a time of encouraging and nurturing. But I think the one thing that I was always curious about when I was a little kid, I seemed to excel when I was in school. And so if I got extra time, like a resource center, I grew up in Ohio and I could go and watch these little tiny movies, I don't even know what they would have been called, almost like a half-inch little loop that mm-hmm. you would get to go and, and view. And so that reward for learning, that reward for um, understanding was really there. And I think I think probably somebody would have, might have thought I would have been a scientist or I don't think you really would have thought I was a performer. Look at me until I was in high school. You would not have thought I was going to seek out wow. uh, other people's approval on a global basis. Okay. So retail, you got into retail at what age and what level? Because you obviously got your experience there somewhere. Well, I think I was always a salesman in that respect. Uh So I didn't have an allowance. And so I would read Boy's Life. That was a magazine in the States. And uh, it would come, I think, once a month. And there'd always be these ads in the back for how you could make money. Mm -hmm. And so one of them was you could sell greeting cards. So I was like, okay. So you sold greeting cards door-to-door in the summer in the 80s and 90s, asking people to get imprinted. Uh, Christmas cards from you, and then they would uh, you deliver them for them in November. I sold my services as uh, mowing lawns. I did a lot of those kind of things, mm-hmm. and so for that reason, I guess I didn't have as much fear. But I put myself through college selling shoes in uh, in malls, and then ultimately got my degree as a conductor and looked around the world. and I said I could have my first home by the time I'm 23, working in retail. I'm going to do that, and ultimately, that's what I did. So as a conductor, you were a musician conductor? Is that what you were? I did. I was going to be a Broadway conductor. And so I oh. wrote uh, probably 20 conductors on Broadway at the time, 1976, when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Well, excuse me, probably 1978, because I'm uh, two years into college. And, you know, how do I become a conductor? And, the, and like, they kept coming back to, well, you got to be a, a, a rehearsal pianist. You got to have man piano skills. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's out. I'm not going to do that. And so my conducting took a backseat to my minor with business. And, uh, and I still had my own choir and orchestra that I did for many years at the Car Performing Arts Center in Long Beach. But making money in retail has always been something that was easy for me and that people seem to reward. So, you know, go where, go where it's easier. So where do you see retailers making the biggest mistake today? I I am not a retail expert. So let's let's start there. I know you're a consumer, you're a retail expert, you know? Well, I'm I'm a product expert. I'm probably not a retail expert. But the whole experience, retail is more than just selling. I, I get that. It's the whole customer experience from, from the first time they hear about the product that you're selling. And we know from a Harris poll recently done in April of this year, so only a month old. About 55% of 
of people interviewed have said that they changed their purchase decision based on their perception of the CEO of the manufacturer of the product, which I find very interesting because now purchase or buying decisions is far more personal than it ever was. What do you, if that is true, what is the impact on the retailer who is that middleman in between? Well, that's interesting because uh, I think it's generational to be clear. I don't think you're going to see a lot of baby boomers taking these quizzes that are online. And let's face it, everybody comes up with a poll a day. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm sure I could conduct a poll where 95% of people want to shop at a brick and mortar store and pay more money than they ever thought possible. You know, so I'm always skeptical of a lot of surveys, but, um, you know, somebody's told me, oh, now is the time sustainability would be the driving force in retail. It's like, really? Like, if there wasn't a PR campaign behind it, do you really think a consumer is sitting there and she's looking at this and she's going to say, oh, well, this is, this is made from whatever. And it's, it's this, do you think the customers immediately say, oh, well, in that case, the light's gone on, or are they more skeptical? Mm-hmm. Why do you say that? How do you know that, you know, where blockchain has followed everything up? I think that it's easy to say what the tea leaves look like. I always go back, Randy, that retail is a game of being brilliant on the basics. It is not a mystery that we have to open our hearts to another human being before they're going to let us into their world and tell us what they really want, not necessarily what they need. And brands that get that, you look at the powerhouses like Lululemon, you look at the Warby Mm -hmm. Parkers, you look at people who have strong training programs like Container Store and a lot of other brands, they are actually looking at expanding and opening stores in this time when other brands like Gap and everyone are running from the mall and, oh my gosh, well, there's no experience there. And I was reading an article today, I think it was in Women's Wear Daily, that uh, Ralph Wren's son is in charge of innovation now of the company and saying the store of the future may not have products. Like, well, then that's not a store, is it? I mean, I think there's a lot of hyperbole around all of the options. And I think it's easy to get an awful lot of money spent in an awful lot of different areas. And look at resale. It's so great. Yeah, well, backstage for Macy's was supposed to be so great. Now they're cannibalizing their full price a store up above and people are, you know, thread up as buying retailers and this whole idea that it's all going to be a circular society and we're all going to be buying everybody's leftovers, hand-me-downs. How does that scale? Because none of them are profitable. Here's where I go back. Yes, mm-hmm. VC is throwing more money in more things around retail than ever before. But the hard job is converting just a looker to a buyer and the money is in you're coming in for our, let's say, nails today. And instead of me asking, what can I help you with? And you go, I need nails. And I get the box of nails for $248 and I'm out the door. You say, what's your project today? And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm building a deck. And now we have a little bit of conversation. And now oh. I, the whole world opened up to me because actually there's a lot of things this guy could use, but it takes training. And in a world where most of the employees are going to default to their phones and they haven't really experienced this. You know, great customer yeah. services. I got my Frappuccino in 20 seconds because they use the mobile app. There's a big gulf in what's possible and what people are settling for in retail. So I say, uh, and again, my clients are proving it. They're having lights out, even though a lot of people are getting tailwinds. A lot of people are still in this clerking mind and telling themselves like, oh, this is great. This is what retail is going to be about. And there's going to be a hangover in the next 18 months, 24 months. 
when this tailwind of pent-up desire and treating ourselves goes out and it'll be another shakeout. And if you're preparing for that now, I think you're going to have a great time beyond the next two years. Very interesting. That was a long answer. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was a long answer. Can you be with us now? Yeah, so I'm I'm doing a fun uh, call-in on our own show here, Andy. This is pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Bob, uh, I, I had a chance to kind of look around your sites, and, and Randy gave me a tip-off, too, um, that we have music in common. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to, to ask you, based on what I've been listening to, what role space plays, you know, like um, chiaroscuro, dark and light, you know, in music, obviously the you know, noise and silence. What's your opinion on what culture is doing? Where's the signal through the noise in retail or in business? I'm not sure how to answer that, Kent. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there thinking I had it. And then it was like, I think I lost it. So uh, give me a little bit more help here. Uh, do you mean like in the store? Do you mean like where retail's going? All, all of the above. So I think so I'm a composer so I, by training. So my, my mind is always saying, here's an empty canvas. Where, where is there noise and where is there space? I guess that's the question in both retail and business moving into the, the 2020s. As a conductor, I can tell you, if I don't feel something when I am preparing your music, my singers and my orchestra won't. And if they don't feel something, the orchestra's not. And the, excuse me, the, the uh, audience is not. And, and retail is no different, Ken. People who feel they matter buy more. That simple. We have left people alone because we have hired people who are not necessarily the most skilled at talking to strangers. And we have let the customer experience devolve to what can I get you? What do you want? And, you know, Sears started it. They were the powerhouse back in the 70s and 80s. Nobody could touch Sears. And then the bean counters got in and said, we don't need as many people. We'll put a central... Uh, counters around and people can come to us. And then it's like, well, they aren't noticing that there aren't as many people. So we'll get rid of that. And Sears used to be a powerhouse of training. They should have been Amazon for God's sake, but because they took their off, eye off the ball and followed, it really created their, a lot of their own problems. For God's sake, they had the distribution network. They had the data. There were so many times they could have made a change. And I think most retailers uh, right now are, you know, excited that they got through uh, 2020 and, you know, we're still here. Great. But the noise is in this idea that having people go to a kiosk or I'm going to get you to strap on 3D glasses or, you know, you could be in your home and Beyonce can show you her jewelry line. It's like, you know, these are all interesting, but retail's a game of masses, it's a game of getting a lot of people to come into a store, to a mall, whatever it's going to be, looking around and buying something more than they came in for. People go into a store to shop. They go online to buy. And if you understand that, then fundamentally, yes, we do need both. And most journeys shop start online. But this idea that we have to duplicate online in a store, to me, just squanders the whole reason I would go. For example, if you were looking for baby strollers and you're scrolling through page 845 to read all the reviews, and suddenly you saw, I don't know, a green houndstooth jacket, you'd be like, what the hell is this? But if you're in a store, you're looking at the baby strollers, and all of a sudden you look across the way, like, I might look good in that. And you bought it, you'd think nothing of it. That's the whole point that most retailers are missing is discovery. That's the secret sauce that drives brick and mortar retail. 
think what's so interesting, Bob, as a as a conductor, I, I can see you actually crafting things in that way. It's so the same way that I'm always kind of looking for emergent themes, kind of trying to create stuff or pull things out of existing people and places. It feels like you're trying to control chaos and kind of direct, you know, figure out what each section is doing and how to string them all together and get the bases to play a little ahead of the beat and, and this and that. So th- you'll appreciate these two examples I'll give you. First off, I consider myself as a guy who gives the world voice lessons. That's what I do. Most people have given up their voice. They don't know how to use it. Then they're feeling lonely because they don't know how to use it. So I'm giving voice lessons. But Kent, because you are joining me, and, and this is a video, right, Randy? This is a video. So Randy, you're going to do well, this with me because this is one thing I do in basic. We're, we're actually, we're not going to um, put the video out. We're just going to put the Okay, that's fine. So I just want you to do this with me, Randy. So I want you to take your hand and I want you to take your hand so I can see it. I'll get away from the mic here. And I just want, on the count of three, just slap down. One, two, three. Do that with me. One, two, three. Okay. Now I want you to hear the difference between that and now let them glance. One, two, three. Do you hear the difference? Oh, yeah. One, yeah. two, three. That's the difference in people who make music. People who don't know how to music is row, row, row. You're, it's mindless. That's what a lot of retail is right now. And so the difference when I approach a sale is instead of getting this thump, I need it to actually be like a drop of water going into another pool of water where it spills back up. And suddenly people are going like, wow, I had the best time. And if you do that, Kent, whether you do that in a physical store, you do that in a composition, people want more. But it's not different. You know, you have to be brilliant on the basics. There's a lot of new music out there. And I just think, would you just, I don't know, learn what a song structure is like? Would you just understand how people listen and the same thing when it comes to a store there's a lot of noise out there and distraction and like you know lights and we're going to do all these different things but the way i judge a store is do i hear laughter mm-hmm. if employees are laughing with customers i know that there's probably a training program there and there's probably an awful lot people are finding in common if you crack that nut which isn't easy life gets easier when you go into a, a higher price store, um, a Nordstrom's, you know, got Macy's at one end, Nordstrom at the other end. Um, Nordstrom's is quiet, plenty of space, physical space. Macy's is all congested and really noisy. Oh, they're serving two different markets, but. Well, Nordstrom could be a lot better too, but don't get me started on that, Randy. But, Sorry, Nordstrom's could be a lot better. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, yes, I agree. They used to be. But, they used to be something very different than what's happening yeah. now. But that's yeah. another story. Well, everybody, it's a race to the bottom, is what I'm saying. I love the. I love the idea of the um the laughing. I'm just. It was funny yeah. as you were just yeah, both not. talking. I, my brain started thinking about all these different spaces and where you just kind of hear a chuckle here and a, and a somebody kind of getting their kid in order over here and. But and that's different between say Nordstroms and Sears or, or Macy's or whatever, too, because you just have different types of folks and atmospheres. And I was thinking about you know in Best Buy or some kind of it's so loud, you know. And then in another store, you've got something where it's just relaxing and um, yeah, really neat. And and Bob, I know we're coming up on the time here, but wow. I'm going to listen back to all this. I'm sure I'm sure there's some fun little nuggets here and there. But um, I love the way you think. Cool. I appreciate that, Ken. So yeah, we are we are running out of time. I've absolutely loved this conversation, Bob. So thank you for that. 
one final question. Um, how can people find you and who would you like to work with? Uh, well, I work with some of the biggest brands in the world all the way, uh, through their dealer networks and their stores all the way down to regional players and smaller ones. But you can certainly Google me. You'll not have trouble finding Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. Uh, there's 400,000 followers on LinkedIn or and we have 20,000 followers on my Facebook page, The Retail Doctor, and Twitter, and I've got a popular blog, and retaildoc.com. But my online training is salesrx.com. And um, just realize that we are about as successful as we make our minds up to be. Now is the time. Everybody needs to use their choice muscle. Don't wait for somebody else to get enthused and hope that's going to happen. It's going to have to start with you and with us, and I appreciate you having me on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and we'll be in touch soon. Excellent. Thanks, guys. It's really great to talk to Bob today, Bob Fibbs, all about retail. And I got to say, I, I learned some things that I'd never thought about before. And I loved seeing that creative connection between music and business here in Bob's work. So we would love you to subscribe to the Business Design Podcast. You can do that anywhere where good or bad podcasts can be found. You can find us on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else that you find your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about what we do, you can go to thoughtpartnergroup.com. There's a little assessment there that takes you about a minute to fill out. And we will read every word that you write and we will respond to you within just a few minutes. Take care, have a good life. We'll see you next time.